Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Scene, where each episode, my guest and I talk about one sequence from a film and discuss it from every and any angle we can find. Why does it work? How does it work? Great film is alchemy, the result of an interaction between writing, performance, light, sound, sets, and editing. On Making the Scene, we try to understand that alchemy through the lens of a single scene, to understand the director's approach to their film by examining how and why they built this one specific moment. The guests are my choice, but the scenes are theirs. So today, my guest is writer, podcaster, and photographer Diego Crespo. And for today's episode, they've chosen a scene from Michael Mann's 2006 adaptation of Miami Vice. Diego, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, thank you for allowing me to talk about this incredibly film Twitter film. Uh, there's... Oh, there's there's so much I could I could just like start going all over the place with already. <laughs> this is really exciting because this was like a, a curveball of a film, which was exactly what I kind of wanted this year. I had like a lot of very obvious choices my my first time around with this, you know, with good films, but you know, Inglorious Bastards and um, you know Boogie Nights and things. And so getting into something that's you know a very successful and popular filmmaker, but a film of his that is more of a kind of a cult underground hit that's picked up its audience over time, I think is going to be a really exciting way to approach this yeah thank you uh yeah i mean the the filmmaker michael mann is uh he's one of my my top like five filmmakers some some days i'm like oh yeah no he's definitely my favorite filmmaker like ever and then you know i come out of the new west side story i'm like no no it's it's still spielberg it's still spielberg but you know michael mann is such a close like runner-up and his films really um they really speak to me in, in a way that uh, uh, American films of recent years have kind of not done as much as that sounds really pretentious, but like, I'll, I'll get more into it. Like why I, I really love him as a filmmaker. He, he seems to be pushing boundaries of what language can do and how little we actually need dialogue at times. Sometimes it's just images and sounds and light and shadow. And it's, it's, he never stops experimenting even in his his senior years as a filmmaker. I, I agree, and I'm actually really excited by this because this will this will get into one of his experimental phases that was really, really influential. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. So um, let's talk about the scene you've chosen. Can you tell me about the scene and how does it fit into the film? Like, contextualize the scene for us. All right, because I will eventually get into how this doesn't just fit into the film, but his filmography as a whole. I have a whole, like, thesis on why this is the scene. Um, also, please forgive me. I'm uh, I'm getting over a cold, thankfully. Uh, nothing too bad, but if you hear sniffling and whatnot, that's what it is. So, uh, in 2006, Mammy Vice, uh, Colin Farrell uh, is and Jamie Foxx are undercover. They're trying to get in with these these high quality drug dealers who are like so discreet, but just, like kind of control everything. And they have to like uh, they have to really win them over so uh, they can get deeper into their operation to see what's going on. And uh, Colin Farrell is kind of making flirty eyes with one of the other uh, the drug dealers and their uh, uh, an accountant uh, played by Gong Lee, and it seems to be mutual. So in in order to kind of get into bed, both literally and metaphorically, he offers to buy her a drink, and uh, they head off to uh, to find the best mojitos in town because this is a movie about how cool it is to be undercover and also how how that will ruin your life and that mojitos are the greatest thing on planet earth um and that that's kind of like the setup for this and this the scene is them going to to cuba to go get mojitos and the scene i chose is uh gong Li and colin farrell on a on a go fast boat a speedboat driving towards the horizon i believe like they it's supposed to be clocking like a hundred miles an hour or something like that. So like realistically, you, you can't approach this movie realistically. It's a very gritty, grounded crime drama, but take realism out of it because these people would not be able to hear like dialogue. You would not be able to hear people talking at that like that speed with the waves crashing against them. Uh, it is completely entirely about 
the mood of the moment and the looks these two people are giving one another. And I, I don't know how much more you want me to get into it, like, immediately already. You want me to, like, hold off too much or... Um, well, you know, actually, let, let's. I I want to dig into one thing you said before we get going, which is, you know, you would. I was usually ask like, you know, why this film and why this scene, but you kind of called out that you feel like this. Um, this fits really interestingly into Michael Mann's kind of overall mode. Um, and can you can you like contextualize that before we get into the details? Because I think we're gonna want to wrap things around that. Okay, uh, Michael Mann is a huge fan of German expressionism, as am I. And a lot of that just tends to be, um, like, drawn just purely through, like, the visuals. There's a lot of, like, um, structures kind of encompassing people. There's a lot of, like, those great, I think, people on, on Twitter kind of uh, reductively, although maybe not incorrectly, call them out as, like, wallpaper screenshots from from films recently. And, like, some some of them do, you know, but, like, the better, the better images that I think of are, like, moments in uh, his film Heat from 1995 where people are walking around Los Angeles and the buildings are so tall they just like the people are just like ants or Thief I think Thief is like the best example of it I mean talking about like a filmmaker coming right out the gate just like completely fully formed already um, you never see the tops of roofs in Heat or the tops of buildings in Heat They're, the people are always like enveloped and like absorbed by their structures and surroundings and um, except for when they're by the ocean, I think every Michael Mann film that has them surround or like either uh, visiting or like escaping to, towards the sea, they kind of just take a moment to like stare out into the horizon. Like that's freedom. Something out there is like calling to them or they just have a moment of reprieve. Also the opening of Thief when Frank is finished with the heist, he's shares like a bagel or something with some guy. They just take a moment to stare out and the movie continues. Uh, when they finish the, the the heist successfully in Thief before the third act really kicks up. They're celebrating at the beach. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, the, the Insider. The Insider, when Al Pacino's on the phone with Russell Crowe, he's trying to convince him, like, stay stay in the game with him. Like, come on, we can, like, finish the story. We can, like, reveal this horrible, horrible thing is happening. Uh, he's lost at sea. He's in, he's in the middle of this hurricane, which I believe was a real hurricane. When they were filming that, good lord, um, we'll we'll go back to filming during hurricanes with this film's production too, because Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, the the sea and like that horizon line that people always look out for, uh, it's like it's this motif that Michael Mann swears by. He swears to this that he does not go looking for those shots; they come naturally to the films during the production process. Um, and I'm willing to believe him, but I also think that, like, he's someone who has such firm beliefs that that will just wrap around to getting to that point, too. Like, it's such a clear, like, through line. Like, no, no, there's freedom out there in these structures that his characters inhabit. They're very rigid. And I think he gets kind of, like, thrown into, like, a very dude bro kind of filmmaker. And I I'm, I don't really buy that anymore. I, I think he's a dude who understands there's an inherent kind of coolness to some of the masculinity, but also like all of his protagonists are sad and none of them are really happy unless they like escape these, these systems they have to conform to. And so, um, yeah, the, the ocean imagery is very like particular with him. And I, I find it very invigorating to look at. That's, that's, I love that. Okay. I'm really excited to dig into that. And I, I have a couple more contextualizing questions, but I, I want to just agree with something you said, which is about, you know, is he a dude bro filmmaker? And he, I think it's easy to mistake a filmmaker who is extremely interested in masculinity to being a dude bro filmmaker. And he's not like, he's not uh, bamboozled by masculinity, but he is very interested in it. And most of his movies tackle, you know, angles of that. So I, I appreciate the way you put that. I think that's great. Oh, thank you. Um, we're not here to talk about Black Hat, but if you've seen Black Hat, I think that's a fascinating way to like uh, for him to recontextualize that in the in the digital age, so to speak. Because I, I think it's really optimistic, and not not to get even more ahead, but like if that's his last movie that he ever makes, it's a really interesting one to go out on because it's kind of like it's a happy ending and he doesn't always have happy endings with his movies. And I, I don't know. There's so much you could go on with this guy. <laughs> I have to see black hat. And actually I should call out that I only saw this movie 
because of you, you'd been talking about it so much on Miami Vice, and but I was actually going to watch Black Hat, and Black Hat wasn't available anywhere, and Miami Vice was. So I, I picked up that as my first one instead, and I watched it about a month before you chose the scene. So this was my second time watching it, but so thank <laughs> great, you. Great. And I will be getting to Black Hat, um, which has been on my list of things. Um, so contextualizing a little bit, also I'm curious. So um, you know, this is a movie that Michael Mann is returning to a property he didn't create, but he was the executive producer on Miami Vice as a TV show. And I'm just curious, did you have any background with the TV show? Had you seen it? Have you seen it since seeing this movie? I'm, I'm curious. All right. So I get to go deep now. Um, I remember watching the trailer for this to, to Numb Encore, the Linkin Park Jay-Z uh, musical crossover that was like – so like corporate influenced and yet now like kind of artistically nostalgic like now it like really like you you think about the mid 2000s music it's like oh that's right there right there that's the sound and um i remember seeing that trailer when i was when i was just a young diego and i was like that looks like the sickest shit ever i need to see that i didn't see it in theaters i saw it in hbo and i was like what the hell is this like I didn't know what to make of it. They don't they don't make movies like this. Movies don't look like this. And then um, I had I was like, oh, okay, it was a, it was a TV show. Okay, I'll watch a TV show. And for anyone that hasn't seen it, the pilot and much of the original run of Miami Vice holds up. It is like there's there's plenty to critique there, you know, ACAB and all that stuff. But like for a show just thriving off of like quality, coolness, and filmmaking, it's like unparalleled. Like that pilot's one of the best ever. And so I really got into that, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that movie, like, didn't do that. That was weird. And then I kept thinking about it, though, like, as I got older, I was like, that was, like, why was that so different? I didn't understand. And eventually, as I got more into the Tumblr era, and, like, I discovered Twitter, and I'm like, people seem to kind of be bringing that up a lot. What is that? I'm like, I'll go watch it again. And then I saw it again. It was like, I had rented it on like iTunes for like a Christmas, like because I was just bored. And um, God bless my family; it was just not an exciting year. And then I was like, "I'll watch it again, yeah." And it blew me away. Like something just clicked, where I was like, "Oh no, this isn't that Miami Vice. This is our Miami. Like this is the Miami Vice for now. It's not trying to do those '80s motifs and that style. It's it's just it's discovering a style for this era." And I still hold to that. I think it, it, it kind of knocked down the doors of like what film could do or digital uh, could do for, for movies in ways that I don't think we've really caught up to yet. I think some people get it. Um, others are like, no, no, no. It, movies aren't supposed to look like that. That's not movie to me. And, you know, to each their own. I could go on a whole tangent about how everyone needs to shut up about film versus digital and how that's ridiculous and but I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> I don't know. We might be going into that. I have some okay. I, I there's an aspect of digital I really do want to go deep on. We're going to get to it in a second. And I want to I want to preface it because I'm I'm glad you saw the TV show because I think this this is something that was in my head while I was watching this, which is, you know, this is, okay, let's just get it out. This is shot digitally at an early point in digital. This Michael Mann was a very early digital filmmaker, and I was thinking about Michael Mann's history in television, and I think that made him less precious about the formal trappings of cinema. But he is just as meticulous about making his films. There's no there's no lack of desire to make a perfectly constructed movie, but he seemed right ready to toss away things that were not film, but like you can go in a different direction. And I think this movie and Collateral, obviously, both exemplify that willingness to say, I'm going to use a different technology. I'm going to use a different thing. I'm not going to make it look the same way. Um, and I, I wonder how much that ties to his early days in film, which was looked down on and realizing, well, I can make art here. So I can make art out of anything. So I, I don't know what there is there, but that, that's kind of what was ringing in my head as I was watching this movie. That's I didn't even consider that, but that I think you're right. I, th- I think that's, that's uh, you know, hammer, meat, nail. Like, because um, he, he's someone who just doesn't stop trying to like invigorate mediums. You know, he's like, Okay, we, we can do this with film. Like, even Heat, like, Heat is, like, I think, almost unanimously, like, the Michael Mann movie. Like, the general public knows about Heat, you know? Um, and that's, like, the perfect film movie. Like, it's, it is it is perf- the perfect beast that you can show to anyone, anyone can recognize that's a great movie. Other stuff of his, not so much, 
but I also like some other works of his more than he because they're so much more exciting and invigorating. Uh, I, I also have to shout out that like not only Collateral was shot digitally, sequences from Ali were also shot digitally on um, on these really crummy little cameras. Uh, Man worked with Emmanuel Lubezki to shoot Will Smith like at night with these like you can kind of tell in the opening the the incredible opening sequence of Ali um, when it's bouncing from like Jamie Foxx as Bundini Brown when he's like monologuing to like oh why you need me I need you yada yada and uh, the Will Smith jogging scenes like those are those are digitally and then there's some sequences where they're watching um, the riots from the rooftops are also digitally and it's it's really fascinating you can kind of see like man found it and then he's been like building upon it ever since then. Um, let's see where where do I go from there? Okay, so with Collateral, he shot digitally because you can see so much of the landscapes and the textures and the the clouds and such like that. And Miami Vice is like it's all just like so weighty and so like heavy. Collateral, the daytime stuff was shot on film. Miami Vice only has like one or two sequences shot on film, not not really like any um and and i don't know i find it so interesting that it's just he was so moved by these images that we see like in, in our normal lives that you can't capture on film and then he captures it in a separate medium entirely that makes it feel even more like grounded but he's not trying to make a movie that's grounded he's, he's trying to make something that's like almost like a tone poem like, yeah. This isn't a movie that you try to sit down and break apart the plot. Like, you can, and it's kind of funny when you do, because it's like, all right, where do you even start with the plot of this film? Because it's like, they they start on separate, like, investigations for the undercover team. Uh, they move into a whole other investigation that turns out to be tied to something else. Then it's a romance in the middle of it, and, and then it's an action movie, and it's just, it's bizarre. If you wrote this in, like, a film class, the professor would fail you, you know? Like, they'd be like, no, that's not how you do this. That's not how you do this. You're right, and this scene is really exemplary of that, which is one of the you – know, there are sort of two tracks that I'm really – I really am looking forward to talking about. And one is that this is a movie that if you kind of dig underneath, that's the bones of a very generic – drug undercover movie like every beat is there right like i mean if you like really dig but it is entirely disinterested in those beats they are there to kind of give the movie places to go but around it it's got this kind of loose um like you said tone poemy kind of feeling it really just kind of wants to vibe its way through what the what it feels like to be in one of these stories instead of caring about the the mechanics and this is a scene you know it's the beginning of a romance between sunny and isabella gong lee's character and instead of being interested in the necessity of the plot beats to get a romance going, it's about looks. It's about a sentence or two. It's about, you know, moments of silence. And so it it gives you the feeling of a romance developing without the plot mechanics of it. And I think that's exactly how the whole movie works. And I also have to give credit because a lot of this, like, this techno babble jargon, like, it's not babble. I, sh- I shouldn't even say babble because Michael Mann is someone who does, like, years of research before, like, coming to a film. He's been working on a Ferrari movie for like a decade. I don't think it's ever going to happen at this point. But if he if he does make it, it's going to be the most like efficient, properly researched film ever made. Um, but like the the procedure, the crime procedure stuff in Miami Vice is like apparently legit to the point where like I I, I should probably not call it techno babble. It's just police jargon, crime jargon, and um, I have to give the movie credit because doesn't like overstay its welcome with individual scenes explaining things it's like okay as long as the characters understand what's happening we can follow the movie from there and i think the real like the secret weapon of this movie is that the characters themselves don't really understand who they are anymore outside of like this uh this law and order procedural that they're following like I think that's why Sonny's constantly like looking out to that horizon line. Like when they're when they're uh, they're kind of roughing up uh, Eddie Marsden's apartment, and he there's just a brief moment he looks out at that horizon. Any editor worth their salt would be like, "Hey, dude, why is that in there? Take that out. You don't need that." But you do need it for this movie. You need it for that character specifically because he's like, "I don't know who I am anymore." Everyone else is kind of like solidified in their role, specifically Jamie Foxx and uh, Naomi Harris, who I think are fantastic in this and. Um, have a, a really kind of beautiful sex scene that's 
There you go. There's sex scene discourse on Twitter. Take that. This this is one you need to. Um, and he, he's uh, the, the Colin Farrell character doesn't really like belong in a sense. And then he finds a connection with Gong Li, you know, like whether or not that connection is like love at first sight or just like something of a physical desire. Like it doesn't matter. It becomes like real in that moment when they're starting to head out to that horizon together. And um, yeah, there's some really moving stuff in this movie. <laughs> I don't think it gets credit for it's it's you know it, it's one of the things that I get out of doing this podcast is you know, I watched you know I'd seen this movie once didn't fully understand it similar to the way you described it watched it again and kind of got it more but then rewatching the scene it went from a scene I was intellectually interested in to what I would describe maybe as one of the best scenes just giving you the feeling of the dance of two people letting their guard down and there's you can see it in these moments that because the movie you made a comment earlier that it's not about the dialogue with Michael Mann that he can do he like kind of strips it away and you see that and there are these these pauses every character has a moment to think during that boat ride scene of like they'll say something and then they'll think and be like okay well here's my repost and then those reposts go away until you get this I feel like the core moment of the scene and the performance level is they finish talking and then Isabella takes off her sunglasses and then Sunny watches her for a second and then decides I'm going to take my jacket off and has her hold the thing and take the jacket off and then the conversation restarts and it's like the each person lets down their guard and deformalizes a tiny bit but they have moments to think about it and I think that's like I, there's something really powerful about the way this scene does that to me. Yeah, I I Oh god, it's so good. Um, I lose it every time he uh, he buckles her in because it's like it, it's such an obvious thing, but it's so beautiful. It's like no, no, no. Like I got you. Like don't worry. Like you're, I'll I'll watch out for you. I'll protect you. And like you know that is something that's a very that could be seen as very like machismo and stuff like that, which the film even recognizes because later Gong Li is like, you know, like I like you you don't have to look out for me. Like I. There, there's bigger picture stuff going on apart from this. Like, I think they're walking on a boardwalk uh, in back when they're back in Florida. And he's like, no, 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 like, I'll, I'll come for you. Like, I'll, I'll go wherever you go. And uh, it's very clear that that's not going to work out for them by that point. And so I don't know, but that scene when he just buckles her in, it's just like, damn, that, that is more romantic than, like, most shit I've seen in, like, theaters in the last decade. <laughs> it's and it's it's like exactly this kind of gets to that like it's the plot beats like it's loosely underneath the mechanics of what you'd expect but done in a way that's like more organic and like that is it's the equivalent of a of a more plot mechanic-y movie of someone leaning it like i'm gonna take the risk and kiss them up to this point we've been dancing around but it's like the first moment of like um, forwardness, you know, in in the thing, and instead it's just him buckling her seatbelt. But you can see it in the reactions. There's a moment where she's like, "What is he doing? What's going on?" And then he buckles it, and you can see her like internalize it. And so, it, like I said, it fills the role that you would get from a much more generic version of that. But instead, it's like it's just this little thing that that like is more interested in the mood of a romance building than the mechanics of it. And I agree. I find that like a really a really compelling way to address what's going on in the movie and the whole movie's built that way but that's really powerful yeah uh, and shout out to gong lee because she did not speak any fluent english at this point she memorized her dialogue like through through proper like gestures. she had like a, a dialogue coach and she could like emote the dialogue properly but she memorized like the affectations properly and you know what i think it works wonderfully. I think she's got a career. I see why she was a huge star, like, uh, uh, in, in China at the time. She is, I think, fantastic in this. And she's got, like, a real movie star charisma, perfectly knocking up against, like, Colin Farrell's, like, coked-up demeanor um, with his his horrendous mullet and mustache, which might have aged very well because now it's, like, the look for him in a lot of stuff. Um <laughs> Like, True Detective is, like, a decade after this, and he's still rocking that, so good for him, you know? Um, but, yeah, I, I think Gong Li is, is terrific at selling just these little things. She's got these moments where she's kind of, like, does this little nod, this chin nod to him, and it's just, like, damn, that's, like, I, I totally buy it, you know? And they're on screen together for, like, maybe half an hour. And to me, this is, like, one of the pinnacle movie romances, you know? I, I don't think most people would agree, but I, I definitely, like, this is something I hold close to me. I'm like, no. This is mine. Stay away. It's perfect. 
I I'm I agree, and it was something that I had to you know to build to um, certainly, um, but I. I got there and now that I'm there I feel very like into what's happening and I I love all of those those little moments in in the scene um and it's interesting because it even starts earlier like at the point when you talk about the go fast boats when it, when it enters you know he's like can I get a drink and she turns around like I'm not dealing with this and then she sees the boat and turns around and asks how fast it goes and again because Michael Mann is willing to build in that extra second to any moment instead of it feeling like dialogue it feels like I'm changing my mind or I'm internalizing this and doing it. And this whole scene is full of internalization between the characters. Um, and you're right. Gong Lee's performance is for someone who's not, I didn't know that by the way, I'm extremely impressed. That would not my read on how she was delivering the dialogue. She is so good at, at that. And Colin Farrell is equally good at almost seeming confused about his reactions through the entirety of the scene. Like he's processing things she's saying and is like very, very, and then he'll like give a, a confused response until like gonna get onto the same wavelength. It's 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 a really interesting way that this is built, and their performances really are the the key point. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I never thought about this. Michael Mann is someone who I always think of technically, but he he seems to be a really good performer director. I don't know if you know anything about his approach with it, but I'm I'm he obviously knows how to get these performances that he's looking for. Yeah, uh, Will Smith talked about it. Um when he was uh, working on Ali that Michael Mann had him kind of work with like a therapist and like a, a psychiatrist to get into the mindset of, uh, of, of being Muhammad Ali and that his brain had to be like rewired to not be Will Smith, but to be Muhammad Ali. Like it's, I love Michael Mann. That dude's a maniac. Um, and I love it, <laughs> but he's like a straight up maniac. Like I, I think he like breaks these people down, not in like a Stanley Kubrick way. Maybe, maybe sometimes, but like, um, not, not to the point where he's like making people like rethink their lives. But um, like, because Jamie Foxx worked with him. This is the third time he worked with him. Worked with him on Ali, Collateral, and this film was his idea. By the way, he he they were at the rap party for I think Ali, and he was like, "Dude, Mike, we gotta do Miami Vice. Like, we you gotta do it. Like, come on, dude, Tubbs and Crockett, let's go." Um, but from my understanding, Michael Mann is a really like strong actors director and sometimes maybe a little too strong but you know he's also worked with De Niro and Pacino and if you can like hold up against those heavyweights I think you're you're probably okay you know I mean I don't, I don't know too much else about it but um yeah I, I think he's uh he's honestly one of the better actors directors just don't ask John Bernthal I don't know if you know that story <laughs> No, wait. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna go for this tangent. You got to tell me what is the okay, story. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I guess he was talking to uh, Michael Mann and John Bernthal. Was like, I guess they were they wanted to work together or something like that. And then Michael Mann was like, you know, like if De Niro was here, he would just tell you, like, you know, pick up the slack. Like I'm paraphrasing now, but he's like, you know, you're just a terrible actor. You know, like, and and John Bernthal was just like, I don't know why he would say that. <laughs> and I don't know. He's, Michael Mann's a weird dude. That's wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know why John Bernthal is a good actor. He just like picked on him this one day, I guess. Wow, amazing. Uh, so, so okay, we we've got to talk about the look of this. And I, I, when I came into this, my thinking was initially that oh, this is the first digitally shot movie that I've done on this podcast. And I, I was wrong, actually. Pacific Rim was when I went back and looked at the movies that I had done. But that got me down a more interesting rabbit hole, which is that. This is from an era of digital that basically doesn't exist anymore because it's shot on a camera that was revolutionary at the time, but dead-ended. It it went away, and the current digital cameras don't really owe anything to the way this one works. And it's the Thompson Viper film stream. Um, and as a result, this movie has a very distinctive uh, digital look. And I don't say that badly, but but it's like it, it is like an artifact of this camera. And so I'm curious, you, you know, you mentioned like this doesn't look like a, you know, it doesn't look like the way movies look. So how did this read to you? I, I want to talk about like it's distinct. Let's talk about it. Uh when I first saw it back in the day and I was like what, what is this? You know, like what what are you doing? Um it felt like like amateur. But you know, like a a fish in a pond is not going to know what the ocean's like kind of thing. And, you know, just, just getting old and having seen more stuff, I'm like, no, 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 this is intentional. This wasn't like a hack job. This was, I, I've seen some dismissive comments about like, oh, yeah, it looks like my student film. Like, no, it doesn't. Your student film does not look this fucking good. Sorry. Um, 
no one student film looks this good. It's very clearly intentional, and I think in its own way, it's like abstract and like beautiful. And you're right, the the way the cameras like capture the images, they're the levels, like the latitude is probably not there to like really edit this and and make it something like uh, pristine. But it's just not trying to be pristine either. It's trying to catch like something that feels almost candid. You know, everything feels candid about this. Even like the most glorious like. Uh, striking images in this movie they don't feel like manipulated in any way and i think that's what he was really going for it just feels like we're getting a glimpse of these people's lives you know i think i don't think it's a mistake that the opening and closing shots of this film are like they almost feel like interrupted you know like we, we, we just show up in the middle of numb encore and someone dancing in front of an led screen and then the final shot of the image is someone walking through a doorway and we don't see where they go it's just cut to black you know like it's just glimpses that's all we're getting here the, the comment you made about people saying it looks like my student film is interesting so because uh, I, I kind of feel like I can see where that's coming from. I mean, they're wrong, right? Like it's a misunderstanding. And, and I was shooting digital, you know, obviously it was the only way to really affordably shoot in the early 2000s if you were trying to make short films or anything. And, um, and you know, there was a look to digital at that point. And it was – and you can see it in the scene. You know, the, the, the color values are crunched. It's, it's almost muted, not desaturated, but muted. Um, and it doesn't have that vibrancy that you expect from film. It has like a dozen set of grain. It has, you know, its own kind of like artifacts. And so when you were shooting that way, though, back at that point, it was really easy to think, I'm failing because this doesn't look like film. Like, so in your head, psychologically, you're thinking, I can't make this look the way I think a movie's supposed to look. And then here's Michael Mann and, and Dion uh, Bibe, Bibi? I don't know how you pronounce Bibi. his name. I've, I've heard it in multiple ways. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, show up and instead of trying to make it look differently, like, you know, Benjamin Button is shot on the same camera and is much more going for a film look generally. They're like, let's make it look like the technology looks right now. And so instead of running away from this aesthetic that a lot of us as indie filmmakers internalized as wrong, they were like, let's go for it. And so you get this scene on the water where the blues and the lights and everything are all crunched in and muted um, and they're celebrating it. And I think it's a really different thing, but I can see why they misread it. It's not bad. It's just that they looked at it and said, this isn't bad. This can be an aesthetic and went all in on it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you, you got people shooting stuff on, like, DV tape, like, a decade before. I mean, Blair Witch Project's, like, half DV tape, half 16mm, right? And I, I think, I'm not saying Michael Mann saw Blair Witch Project and was like, okay, I can marry these two. But I think this look, this aesthetic kind of, like, is a balance between them, where it's like, it's not that that kind of crummy 480p tape. It's not the the length of 16 millimeter, which you can still push like color in a lot of ways and stuff like that. This is something right in the middle where you you capture a very specific time and place that you'll never be able to capture again. Even like with more recent digital cameras, you could probably achieve a look that's that is significantly higher quality than this. So you could shoot something on like a a consumer grade camera and master in 4K. Miami Vice will never be true 4K. You know, like. Collateral recently got the 4K upscale. That's not true 4K. It looks fantastic, but it's not like real like 4K HDR or any of that stuff. Um, and that's fine. It looks incredible, but it's not it's not the lengths that you would get with like a Pacific Rim, like you mentioned, which is like an incredible, just gorgeous looking film. I love that movie, by the way. Um, and yeah, the, the the look of this, it's it's just so specific, and I'm. I'm I'm not like bummed we moved away from it, but I still feel like, no, 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 we could do more with that. We could still do more. You know, it's like, it's like when people get tired of like found footage movies, it's like, yeah, sometimes they're bad, but like if you can achieve like that perfect aesthetic and story quality with a found footage film, it becomes like legendary, you know? And and you're right. You're like it, we didn't we didn't like this. So I look at this scene. I look at the the nature of the ocean. You know, which in any other version of shooting would look beautiful in a way that is common film language. We would see the crisp blues. We would you know we would see the b- very bright reds, or we would have a desaturation that is very different. It would be like the colors drained out. But we never really explored the aesthetic the way this film and this scene explores that aesthetic. It, it's 
they're on the water and and it it's beautiful. I mean, I it is in it is like objectively beautiful in my in my opinion. Like it's it's but but it isn't beautiful in a way that we even know how to process. We didn't know how to process it before and we've moved on now and the technology doesn't even exist to make this movie again. You know, this camera isn't gone. There's no evolution of this technology. I don't think we can make a movie look this way now unless we got artifact feel like, you know, went back and found things. You couldn't do this on an Ari or a Red. Yeah. Uh I believe you could still purchase these cameras. You would have to like get adapters and everything like that to, for the post-production process. Um, you know, that would be a fun experiment because they're probably not that expensive now. Uh, I'm not going to check in the middle of this podcast because we, we had a whole other thing going on. But no, I'm, that's a that's a note for myself in the future because uh, I would love to make something that looked like this. <laughs> no one, would, Everyone would reject it, but I would be very happy to try it. Um, and like we just look at, at, at stuff like this uh, – Oh, it's also worth noting, the director's cut, which is not really a director's cut, uh, Michael Mann was happier with the version that was released in theaters. He, just to get the producers and the, the studio office back, he was like, sure, I'll give you something to release in home video. And he added some footage back in. The opening of this is a, a go-fast boat like race, which um, opens with a lot of the blues and the, the waves and everything, like the, exactly what you were describing. It just The, the footage popped right back into my brain. And um, it, it does look glamorous and gorgeous. And it's also just very funny that it's like, oh, yeah, the undercover jobs for Miami Vice people. It's like they're not like drug dealers or anything like too low rent. They have to be like the coolest undercover jobs ever, like racing go fast boats. It's like it, nothing. It, it's not reality. It's an extension of reality, but it's not our reality, which is so fascinating. Um, uh, I, I think a lot about how. Like the the urban environments at night in this, they look almost like alien. You know, they they look like something that's that's too different to to, to be like tangible, but it's also like still tangible because the quality and the textures of the images. But then you have like these shots where they're flying through the planes like in in the air, and it's like whoa, that looks. I could look up right now at the, at the out my window, and the sky is gonna look just like that. And so I I don't have like a thesis on like any anything specific to that but i always found it really interesting it's like like the the nature side of it looks like glamorous and beautiful and exciting and free and then everything else is like so cramped and like reflective and and boggy (laughs) and grainy you're right because this scene you know this this scene on the water you know when you were talking about the horizon is freedom this this i didn't had not thought of it this way but they are alone. They're in a go-fast boat with nothing around. There's no no land you can see, no other boats. They are a, a very fast-moving thing creating waves in the water with an endless expanse of the sea around them. And it is. It's like, you know, th- this is a movie that is about them unable to find – they're going to run out of time. This romance can't last. This is their moment of there is nothing else. That moment of freedom is out there. And the way this is shot captures that expanse. Um from multiple directions yeah and uh it's i mean it's just it's just a perfect scene but like also the the end of the film to jump a little bit ahead too you know it's it's uh it's just so perfect where he has to let her go and she has to go back beyond the horizon you know and eventually she'll be looking out of the same horizon that he will and they'll will they ever find each other again i don't think so um uh, the the cynic in me says no. Maybe the optimist might say something different later. But uh, it's it's just a perfectly realized romance, in my opinion. Like it's told entirely through visuals. I think you could follow it without a single line of dialogue, just because of the the performers. Excuse me, the performances, the body language, and the imagery. You know, like I mean, when they get swept up and they're dancing together, like you completely understand how like they're moving closer as they're dancing, like the, the relationship is evolving into something else, you know? And it's, it's just so fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> you're, you're right about the way that it almost doesn't matter what the dialogue is. Cause in this scene specifically, the dance they're doing is about things that are not them getting into a romance. It's, you know, um, where are we going? This, is that in the keys? No, it's Havana. I, I can't go to Cuba. Like it's, the whole it's very much of them feeling each other out but they're not talking about the romance and so the dialogue is almost irrelevant to what you take away from the scene mm-hmm. 
and later when they're like because they're also still trying to play up the business side of stuff too and they're like okay well they'll, they'll go a couple rounds and then like okay uh how about you don't pay us for this shipment we'll do this instead oh you sure blah 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 blah, blah. okay let me show you um this is my mom in the picture blah 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 blah, blah, blah. okay and then they they go back to lovemaking and then they'll go somewhere else and they'll kind of like hash out some deal stuff. Okay, back to lovemaking. And then eventually the deal stuff falls to the wayside entirely. Every time you spend with them is just the, the longing looks, the glances, the nods, um, uh, sex in the back of an SUV as, as you know, I mean, who, who among us, right? Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's such a, an obvious way to build a relationship in that like, you, you take away what connects what, what brought them together and then you just focus on them together you don't don't worry about them talking they don't need to, they don't need to talk they need to be together that's it and it's it's so moving it's like you could learn so much about this uh, but you would also need to add gunfights and and all that jazz <laughs> and planes and you know I think I think all movies should have that all movies should have mojitos uh, gunfights and Gongli and Colin Farrell falling in love <laughs> I would have no argument at all. Yeah. Um, something about the look of this mo- this scene specifically. I, 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 if I went back, I might see it elsewhere. But you know, one of the artifacts of the Thompson Viper is that it had a mechanical shutter. So it had a rotary shutter the same way that a film camera has. And most cameras now use a global shutter that's gone from digital. And so you get you can do things like shutter angle on digital, which produces this in, this imagery that I don't think I've ever seen before. It's somewhere in between like the beach stuff on Saving Private Ryan and, you know, the digital stuff you did. And there's this shot early on when it's it's Isabella, it's Gong Lee standing, and there's water right behind her. It's like a pool. It's not the ocean. It's like a little pool, and there's ripples. And be, uh, they, they obviously were sh- closing down the shutter angle. There was obviously a narrow shutter angle because it's staccato. You can see the crispness of the waves at every moment. And they're doing things there that I've never seen. Like, it, it's... And you couldn't... Again, you couldn't... You'd have to digitally replicate that now. But this is like a mix of mechanical and digital that just doesn't exist anymore. I'm curious what you're, what you're feeling on that just like visually because I, I, it's, it's, it's a moment we'll never get again. I, from what I believe, the new Fujifilm X series does also have a mechanical shutter. They, those are consumer-grade cameras. I own one. Uh, they're they're not super expensive. Um, they're not cheap, but uh, it was a little Christmas present to myself. So you you can you can kind of play with that in in, in similar capacity. Now the 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 in camera like raw footage look is going to be drastically different from from the Viper, of course. But the mechanical shutters are still like available in some contexts. Uh, to your point, I do really love um, just the, the crispness. Of, of the images you know it's it's almost like it's just on the verge of that too clean digital look that some people don't like but still distant enough to be kind of like film so I, I saw collateral uh, a print of it on my birthday last year on film and it was uh, it was an interesting experience I I definitely prefer the 4k look um, I would love to watch Mammy Vice on film I think this film might look fantastic on celluloid um, now to, to the to the point about film versus digital, which I think uh, we, we have to, to kind of hit a little bit right now. I'm really glad this wasn't shot on film because I think that would take away from what man's going for with um, a film of the era. Because it's also like he's a guy who does a lot of research into uh, what what kind of law enforcement uh, spyware is going on and, and, and all that jazz. And, I, you know, we're, we're really kind of on the verge. You know, the war on terror is, like, full thrust during the production of this. You have all these new, like, digital um, geographical ways of mapping out environments, connecting people through cell phones, through webcams. Without it. Like, the opening uh, scene is, like, establishing a webcam in, in the, that club that they're at. And I think his, his way of exploring that with the cameras of that era because like the spyware has evolved so much from then to now the cameras are like obsolete compared to now i think it just perfectly captures the mid 2000s you know it's it's the fact that stuff doesn't look like this even with the more advanced technology um it's 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 a beautiful look at an era that we just can't go back to and i think a lot of his stuff is kind of about that too where it's like you 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 kind of go through through life a certain way. You kind of have your certain beliefs. You're certain like 
these characters have these these goals and dreams, and then they, they can't go back anymore, you know? Uh, and what is Miami Vice if not Michael Mann's attempt at doing a, a Casablanca riff? That's that's my <laughs> that's one of my other points too. I think because Casablanca is a film about like you know a love lost and how you can't go back to it because time is, has has uh, the passage of time comes for us all. And I think this is kind of his own way of going about that. Um, although in, instead of uh, you know Casablanca, it's it's Miami. It's just it all takes place in Miami, and I think that's also kind of what uh, was built into the narrative of the show. I did a little bit of research on that too, where Miami Vice there was like, oh, okay, we could have have Miami as our Casablanca, where we're gonna have a bunch of narratives popping in and out every week, uh, people crossing paths and relationships being built and falling apart. And this one, we just have Dong Lee and Colin Farrell um, as our as our romantic leads, and then he has to see her off to freedom. Well, he's gonna be around to, to clean up the mess and with his cocaine-addled mustache. It's it's interesting that you bring up Casablanca because I I had a kind of movie a movie connection that was different and and it you, know, you you actually touched on something in talking about the difference between old Miami Vice and new Miami Vice that was in my head while I was watching it and especially the scene which is it feels to me almost like Miami Vice filtered through hard boiled and the mood of hard boiled and so, I mean when you think back like in the TV show Sonny lived on a boat which um which um God uh, Tony Lung's character lives on a boat in that um but and in this scene you know you get that sense of you can't stay in the place that you are and like you can feel time slipping away from you and this whole conversation you're starting something that can't can't last the same way that um you know uh chow yun fat and tony lung's character are gonna have to split that's not a romance but all young mm. movies are basically romances so yeah um but anyways i you know for like it it connected to me but you're right they're both stories about um you know, you've lost what came before. You're going to lose what you have now, and the future, it, the future's on the horizon. Because those are both movies that are interested in boats sailing away. Um, and so, and and in Casablanca, it's flying away. But you know, there's like this sense of travel. So, anyways, I, I think it's you're right. Like, there's this real sense of those things. So, anyways, yeah, Hard Boiled was sort of my like. It felt like a like a laser of Miami Vice with the lens of Hard Boiled, and I think, but Casablanca gives it a different lens, which I think is also really interesting. Well, there you go. That's a triple feature right there. Casablanca, yeah. <laughs> hard-boiled, Mammy Vice. <laughs> so um, I, we haven't talked about the music in this scene yet, and I want to do that because while the movie overall is John Murphy, this has got a Moby song playing over it. Um, what I'm just curious. What's like? How does this music hit you? Like it's it's a very it's a very evocative choice, you know. Like and Moby's very of this moment. So I think Michael Mann as well as being one of the more underrated actors, directors. I think he's one of the more underappreciated directors when it comes to his choice of music. I think it is also very of the time and of the moment. Moby's very 2000s. Um, oh my God. There's so, Look up like what he pops up in 2000s. It's just like, Jesus Christ. He's like an alias and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think this scene, I can't imagine it without this music now. It's... It's absurd how perfectly I think this fits into it. Um, there's there's other people on, on the albums list. There's like Mogwai does like some of the closing stuff, uh, which I think is fantastic. The soft piano orchestra thing. Um, but this one is just like, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. I got nothing for this one, but it, it is perfect. The One of these mornings, I've listened to that song with or without this scene accompanying it, like at least a hundred times now. Like it is, it, oh, you know what? Fun fact: the movie version is not the official version, so you cannot listen to the movie version on Spotify. Which is Wait, a so e- even on the Miami Vice soundtrack, because there's a version on the Miami Vice soundtrack, is that not the movie version? That's that is the movie version. It's not on Spotify though. Oh, it's on, it's okay. So it's on Apple Music, which is what I was listening. So this morning I was cooking, oh, oh, okay. and and the Miami Vice soundtrack is on Apple Music, and you can listen to it um, on that because I, I have the same thing that happened. You just because you're right because the version I listened to was first the Moby version on Spotify, and I was like, okay, and then it and then I went to the album, and I was like, this sounds different. So I I wasn't sure if I was just going crazy. I was cooking during the time, so no, I thought no, maybe you're, was, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So it's is it a different mix? Like what did like, what did they you know uh, what they did Michael Mann when he hires because he's hired Moby for a couple movies now he will have him do like kind of a 
reworked, not quite remixed, but reworked versions of his music. So um, there's like some songs in Heat that he had Moby kind of redo in a, in a specific way. And um, this is one of the ones that he had Moby redo for the movie. He's like, could you make it more like this? <laughs> you know, could you have it be more orchestral, more smooth, you know? It it, dev- it, ha- it did. It felt more vocal first. It felt more like uh, a little less dance and a little more evocative, um, mm-hmm. the, the version. So that makes a lot of sense. And I agree. It's it's so important to this. And it it's it's like the connective tissue of those beats that we let. I was talking about earlier that like you let sit and like the music is the consistent. Like that's the heartbeat of the scene. Um, and it does connect to the the sense of freedom out on the water because it's like it, it's different than a lot of the other music in the movie in my it too so it's it is it's a very powerful choice uh, yeah the, the other music in the movie is like very like new metal and stuff like that like in the director's cut uh or you know what no in this version too if the the cut to credit song you know it's the new metal version of in the air tonight in the the, the unrated cut it's that pops up heading into the finale for their showdown because you got to have in the air tonight with Miami Vice. Which I agree with, but I, I was fine with it in that credits alone. Um, yeah, a lot of it's like more like aggressive and like moody, and and uh, um, one of these mornings is is still moody, but it's more it's more soft. It lets you sit with it. It lets you kind of explore these emotions that the characters are discovering. So can I? I want to go deep on one set of shots, and it's this is there's no right answer to this question, and maybe this will be able to be like, why are you even asking me this? But there's there's a choice right at the end of this scene, and so after he buckles her in, he starts going very fast, and we get three shots. We get a very smooth helicopter shot around the boat, and then we cut, and it's a chaotic series of stab zooms where it can't even keep the boat in the frame. And then we go back to a helicopter shot that zooms around and lets the boat come off screen to cut to the next scene. And it is it is a jarring aesthetic choice. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it is a very jarring difference between the sandwiching of those shots. What's going on there? And did you even, did that even track for you? Like what what's happening there? It does track. Every time I watch it, it tracks for me. And I could not tell you why I liked it. And I couldn't tell you why it's there. But I do know, I know Michael Mann works in mysterious ways because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Manhunter, but there is a, the, the showdown at the end of that movie, there's like a jarring series of cuts when, when the cops raid uh, the Tooth Fairy's house. And it's just like, whoa, it's like avant-garde action stuff. And then he was talking to Robert Rodriguez on, on his director interview show for the El Rey Network. And Michael Mann was like, yeah, we just ran out of time and money. I just had to like cut stuff together. And it's just like, oh, it's like 20 years. This is sitting in my brain as like the most genius artistic choice anyone's ever made in a shootout sequence. And he's like, yeah, we just, I just had to string something together. And it's like sometimes those answers are not like some thought-provoking uh, new way to approach life. Sometimes it's just like we needed to like get this done. And it seemed to work in the edit that way. And you know what? That's okay too. You know, sometimes there's no mystique about the process. There's no like – there's no greater – epitaph you're trying to reach it's just like no it just ended up working that way better in the edit and i am pretty sure that's that's why that boat chases or the boat scene is like that there <laughs> I, I you're probably and it connects to him you talking before about how he doesn't look for those horizon shots or doesn't look for that stuff that it, it probably is a discovery i'm sure they shot it from a bunch of things i so here's i have this when after you watch a scene like seven times in a row you start coming up with weird weird thoughts and this is mine on this um the 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 feeling it evoked i don't know if this is intentional but this is like what it said like i there's the smoothness of those first that first two shots right it's the romance of it it's the it's the like majesty of being out on the sea um but time is also getting away there's also chaos around them this is not going to last and so i i think the juxtaposition of classical cinematography of like zooming around it to this almost 70s kind of chaotic stab zoom um thing gets to the dichotomy of the relationship and like the tension of everything that's going to happen again i don't know if this is this is intentional or not but like that was kind of my takeaway from it it's actually like the jarringness and the juxtaposition not matching is is exactly to the core of their character arc and works really well for me on that part no, no, I, I think that's a totally valid read. Like, I, I, some people have, have come away with um, drastically different reads in this film. Some people see this as, like, an adamantly still uh, 
pro-cop movie. And, you know, it's it's about Miami-Dade. It's like there's only so much. I, I could bend over backwards and be like, actually, Michael Mann, comrade Michael Mann. It, it's, it's, it's ultimately a film about police officers. That's just a fact. However, I also do think that it's a film about how these people have lost touch of reality. And the only person who really kind of has that reality still at the end are, are Jamie Foxx and Naomi Harris. And even then, that's like that ends up being damaged because of um, the their line of duty, you know. Um, but all, all that to say, I think your read is completely valid. I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're that is that is totally fine. I I, I will have to rewatch it with that in mind because that's um, <laughs> I will rewatch this movie like later today. By the way, this is like the movie I've, I've most watched in my entire life. <laughs> I, that's wonderful. Yeah. I um, uh, th- and thank you for humoring my my. I I feel like I come up with one weirdo symbolic read per movie at this point because you can't like after like I, I my process doing this is I watch the I, I'll watch the movie and then I'll watch the scene and then I'll go away and then I'll watch the scene like three or four times in a row and take notes every time and usually by the end it's like one of those creative processes when they make you come up with like different ideas like that like all at once and by the end you're just like off on weird tangents because you're trying to see it from different lenses. I always end up in some weird place at some point in watching it. So. No, no, it, it, it totally, I think it's totally valid. And like, uh, talk about like personal reads, you know, like, I mean, this movie almost gets like Terrence Malickian at certain points with like the nature and the environment and stuff like that. Uh, and, and specifically with like the horizon and the clouds and everything like that, um, be it day or night. Uh, this film was filmed during like a heavy monsoon season. In, uh, in the Atlantic regions where they were shooting, and that led to a lot of stress and a lot of production problems, and they lost hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of days, hours, manpower. Um, nobody lost their lives, but um, it was it was a rigorous shoot. Mike, Michael Mann basically, I don't want to say he's disowned this movie, but in a discussion with um, film critic and also Michael Mann aficionado, uh, Bilge Ebery for the uh, BAM, in 2016 they were talking about like black hat and Miami vice and uh bilge was asking him like why uh, like uh, questions about Miami vice and like oh i could talk to you about that movie all day and michael mann was just like like why like i i curious because you know like I, it's not a movie that really worked out in my opinion like it didn't it didn't achieve everything i thought it could have and um he seemed to kind of be like not super annoyed. he appreciative of people's appreciation for it. Cause that was like really the big push for its reclamation back in 2016 to where we are now. But he definitely seemed like, you know, like a, he's more interested in talking about black hat. Um, Interesting. Which is even less well received than Miami vice. Another movie that I do love, but <laughs> I don't know. It's, he's got a weird relationship with it. I think. That's that's really interesting. I'm, I I did. I'm gonna have to go into the research on that because I'm I'm very curious about what what his takeaway and what he was hoping. Um, so okay, I have I have one last technical point I want to make, kind of about the camera and digital, and then I I want to open it up to you to make sure we've talked about everything you've talked about. One of the things that I think sells something you had mentioned, like the horizon, is that this movie is um, anamorphic widescreen it's uh 235 um and the viper digital camera is kind of a curiosity in that it could do anamorphic naturally most digital cameras you had to crop you know the way the sensors worked this had like side-by-side sensors in a way that you could naturally with a spherical lens shoot anamorphic widescreen and so you get this expanse which combined with this like early digital look that doesn't feel cinematic is fascinating and so i feel like it really sells something it creates a really interesting aesthetic um i don't know i'm, I'm curious like you're like th- does the anamorphic help here like is this part of the aesthetic for you too like I, it's a really interesting artifact of this moment i i freaking love it um i i think it totally is part of like the miami vice image to me now you know um i think there's there's been a lot of discussions about not just film versus digital um there's a there's a, a film editor film twitter person devin scott who, who's had this recent trend of, uh, uh, like, asking, why was this shot in scope, you know? And it, it's it's a harmless question. It's like, yeah, why was this shot in, like, like CinemaScope widescreen? Why? What, what is the benefit of that versus just 16 by 9 or 4 by 3, right? Just think about it. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think with the Horizon stuff in this specifically, it's so just, like, perfect. It, it really makes you, like, kind of yearn for, like, that extended view that 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 
wide view of of the story that you're watching. Um, and I think it even works with some like uh, the more crowded instances, like on the dance floors. There's a lot of dancing in this movie um, when they're when they're assembling like the, the drug money and the, the drug compartment stuff on the boats or the raids. Um, I think the action. Michael. I mean, obviously Michael Mann's great at shootouts, but. I think his compositions of like over the shoulder shots, um, you get the perspective of like the people trying to like find the targets in like the trailer park scene or um, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, um, th- this is the only way this movie could have been shot. I think sometimes I, I tend to agree with Mr. Devin's God and like, yeah, why was this shot in, in widescreen? You know, like I think people like John Carpenter stuff a lot. And I love John Carpenter stuff a lot too. And he tends to, or he only shot an anamorphic widescreen, and not everything needs to be. Is yeah. all I'll say. I don't want to. I don't want to like, bring pitchforks out to anyone in particular. <laughs> no, it, it's definitely like it. It reads as bigger cinema and doesn't actually mean bigger cinema when you really get yeah. to the composition. But you're like in this case, it's you know there's the obvious shot, which is the far boat shot. So you get the whole expanse of the ocean, which is great. But there's one particular shot that I think is my favorite shot in the scene which is when it's behind them on the boat. You get the back of their heads and you get the sun sunset or sunrise, I guess sunset, out in the distance. If you didn't have an anamorphic, it would cut off in the boat. You would only get the crampness of the boat. But by being anamorphic, what you get is the crampness and the expanse. You get both at the same time, and you'd lose that, I think, if you didn't have this this aspect ratio. Yeah, I, I think people really uh, like underestimate these decisions that you can make to make your movie just like more expansive or, or you know there's a question about like what is cinematic you know to me cinematic is just making the best decisions you can make for the story that you're telling you know like if i'm watching a claustrophobic thriller maybe this isn't the way i go you know maybe you go for something a little more boxy you know four by three would be cool or uh you know you know what maybe even then because like assault on precinct 13 is a claustrophobic thriller basically and it's also so anamorphic. It all depends on like what <laughs> what you're looking for, I guess. What you, the tools that you have. It's all about like what you you want to accomplish and and how you want to accomplish it. Um, yeah, like some some movies don't need this, or some movies that are shot in like IMAX. I'm like, really? You, you use IMAX cameras for those? You sure? <laughs> I tell. Uh, and then other times it's like, whoa! I'm I'm gonna fall out of my chair. Yep. Whoa! <laughs> So um, so what haven't we talked about with this scene that you wanted to? I, I you know I hit a bunch of stuff that I wanted to make sure we did, and I, I don't want to eat it all up. What what did we not dig into? Oh man, God, I mean, you could talk about how Michael Man, or you know what, we could talk about how Jamie Fox was not super great to work with on this film because he had just won his Oscar for uh, for Ray, and. Uh, that sort of ended his relationship with Michael Mann. That's not about the scene specifically, but I, I think it does kind of hamper the direction of the story at times because this film was kind of rewritten on the fly constantly. Um, eventually it would come out that this film has the same ending as Bad Boys 2 that they never got to shoot, uh, which I would have loved to have seen because I love Bad Boys 2. And Michael Mann redoing the ending of Bad Boys 2 but with Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx would have been incredible. Um... I think I still think that this is uh, the boat scene with Gong Li and Colin Farrell is the pinnacle of like Michael Mann. I think that is absolutely like the nexus point of his interests in film, uh, digital photography, characters. Um, it's an encapsulation of of that freedom his characters so often strive for, and why in this world and in the world's characters inhabit uh it could never it could never really last um it's probably the greatest film ever made if you ask me i i don't know you know what yeah yeah i'll stick by that yeah it's like top five movies probably um yeah it's like that citizen kane i love it i love it i I, I I always like the the worst thing about like film communities can be like over indexing on what like the obvious things or things we all know and I think weird opinions and art are the best things because they're personal but also true to things and like I I can see it like wh- like I love these conversations because I can see 
your love for this through your eyes on this. And I understand it, you know, like even though, you know, it, it wouldn't be in my top five, but I, I, I appreciated it before and I, I appreciate it more now because I understand the connection. And I think that's what makes art really beautiful is like these details add up to a personal reaction. And that personal reaction is our own. And, and we can, and we can show something about our view of art through those discussions. So, and you did. So I really appreciate you um, like showing me this film in a light that I would not have seen it otherwise. Oh, thank, thank you very much for, for letting me share this love of this film that, uh, you know, frankly, a lot of people have talked about online, but you know what? And I, I've seen some kind of pushback on that. It's a very, I mentioned it was a very film Twitter movie. And like, yeah, it, it does get talked about a lot on, on film Twitter. But frankly, there's nowhere else people are talking about it. So I'm going to keep that up. Sorry. Um, and to, to your point as well, uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, uh, Andrew Boyd Allen, they also have a, a, a very uh, specific taste in films and have also, I, I think, safe to say, opened both of our eyes to like, you know, that, that you called it the weird opinion. I'm going to go with that too. The, the outlier opinions of what films connect with us and not. And that's, you know, that's what these conversations are for. They're fun, um, engaging, thought provoking. And hopefully we all walk away with a better appreciation of, of, of the arts for ourselves and, and for each other without, without prodding the internet bear. We don't need I, to do that anymore. I'm so with you. I'm so with you. Um, this has been really wonderful, Diego. I be, before we wrap up, can you, um, let the listeners know, like, where can they can find you? Feel free to, um, you know, shout out anything you want to direct people to because uh, there's a lot of great stuff for you out there. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you could find me at the Diego Crespo on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Diego Crespo Grams. Uh, I do my own podcast, which uh, we're going to have to have Eric on soon to talk about uh, other movie stuff. Uh, it's called The Waffle Press. I do a, a bi-monthly hangouts with my co-host Gene and, and guests where we talk about stuff we're watching um, stuff I want to highlight and I do a retrospective series with my friend Matt Garingo we just finished the Matrix and Scream retrospectives we haven't seen Scream 5 yet we'll get around to that for VOD um, so yeah go go check out all that jazz and uh, I take pictures you could hire me to do that if you're in uh, Southern California <laughs> okay Diego's a great podcaster and a phenomenal pho- photographer. I oh, strongly you. encourage you to go to his Instagram because um, beautiful, beautiful photography. And on his Twitter account, occasionally you get these wonderful dumps of just like the pictures that I guess you've been had lying around that you haven't released yet. And they are always stunning in a, a variety of ways across a range of different aesthetics and sometimes on film, sometimes just like starkly beautiful. I, I, I can't say enough about your photography, Diego, and um, I just – I, everyone listening, please go check it out if you haven't, because it's amazing. Oh, thank thank you so much. I'll, I'll be honest. Everything I'm trying to do is done in Miami Vice. That's just the fact. <laughs> everything. If I'm taking a picture on my phone, I'm like, how can I make it like like the Viper? You know, like that's <laughs> that's all I'm thinking of. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much, listeners. Um, I, this has been a great episode. Thank you, Diego, for joining me. Um, and I will um, see you all on the next episode. Have a nice day. Some nature.